All hands, this is the captain speaking. Starfleet has confirmed reports that Romulus was destroyed two weeks ago by an ultranova in the adjacent Toba system. The colonies and subjugated worlds that survived are in need of humanitarian aid. Arabella has been assigned to a convoy that will cross the neutral zone in order to provide assistance. We are uncertain of the reception we will receive, but it is it likely, likely we will be met with resistance from the Romulan people. They won't want to accept charity from the Federation, but the captain says we should be prepared to accept evacuees and deal with confrontations with rogue members of the military. Security teams will need to be ready at a moment's notice. We'll we will begin, begin drills, at, drills at 0800 to prepare. Sick bay may be inundated with ill and wounded. I don't want my department to be overwhelmed. Many of you were a part of the staff aboard the Tiberius. You are seasoned veterans. I know you are fully capable of handling this situation. Shields up. Red alert. <laughs> Captain, our shields cannot take much more. Beyond the neutral zone, the Romulan people suffer in chaos. The Hobus Ultra Nova laid waste to their fractured empire. Stability has crumbled, and infrastructure ravaged. Friend and foe amass in shadows, waiting to pick their bones. Yet the Federation takes nothing but their burdens. These are the voyages of Arabella, the flagship of the Seventh Fleet. Its mission, to defend the helpless, to render aid where needed, to befriend a former enemy, to boldly go where no Starfleet vessel has gone before. Hello, this is the Trucks and Sci-Fi Microcast, The Ready Room. I'm Kenny, and unfortunately Jen and Rick can't be here today, so this is just going to be another post-reading Ready Room. We are hoping to get together very soon uh, to do some commentary. If anybody out there wants to do a commentary piece for us and discuss up to post-90, that would be fantastic. You can send that to the Ready Room Podcast at gmail.com. We'd really appreciate it. You can just give us your thoughts on the story so far and how it's progressing or your characters or anything really. Just uh, any kind of audio comment would be fantastic. So uh, why don't we start? And it's going to be post readings 66 to 95. <laughs> Dalen gazed at the transporter tech while DeKellen stepped up onto the pad and he took the unconscious prisoner. Threw the boon directly to the brig. Within moments a trio were there. The chief looked round for the requested medic. He tapped his comm badge. DeKellen's a nurse kind, are you on your way? He said simultaneously as the young ensign ran into the room out of breath. The nurse looked up and offered. Sorry. Sorry, sir. Busy with Dr. Jouette, lots of, uh, patience. Panting, but clearly eager to get her work done, the young girl spotted the Romulan and her eyes got slightly bigger. Shelby could sense the questions coming and she averted them. She isn't hurt that badly, Dylan said, as the Carlin and her escorted the sedated Romulan between them, in case the woman awoke. When they reached the cell, Jersey signalled for Shelby to wait outside, whilst he and the tech entered. The Carlin placed the unconscious woman in a hard wall cart and stepped back, allowing the tech to unbundle and check the minor related injuries on the figure. When Kane was done, she pivoted to the chief and announced, A few bumps and bruises, sir. Nothing else. De Carlin smiled at the nurse as they walked out into the hallway. Thank you, Ensign. Make a report to the good doctor. Turning to Dylan, he raised an eyebrow and leaned against the wall. So, care to explain? Did she beat you at poker, or did she just have one you, hmm? The scrape along the side of her temple hurt when she narrowed her eyes at the man, but she ignored it. The second the nurse was gone and Shelby made sure no one else was in range, she moved in near him and gave him a frosty stare. Sometimes you're just not that funny. She was more than ready to walk past the frustrated man. The Carlin reached out of his finger and stopped her. In response, her exotic eyes shifted down to his finger, then up into the more than questioning expression. You can read it in my report, sir. Anything to Alan? I'm not sure you took this mission seriously. The XO was very clear. I did take this mission seriously, sir, she said firmly as she stood her ground. She attacked me without provocation or reason. 
Pushing off from the war, de Carlin stepped closer to Shelby. Reading her reaction as well as seeing the fire and steel which shimmered below the surface. Then, in an unexpected move, Joseph reached up, placed his finger along her cheek lightly, and he turned her head just a bit, checking the wound. Let me look at that. He studied it. He wasn't anything to worry about. I'm. I'm fine. The unprecedented touch threw Shelby off guard. Her startled gaze found his inquisitive stare, then she quickly moved her eyes away. Lowering his finger away from her cheek, Jersey found himself surprised at his actions as well. Subsequently, he placed his hands behind his back. Keep checking on her. See if she's calmed down and willing to talk. She isn't going to, I can tell you that. Her attention returned to the cell, then back to the man before her. Joseph smiled. See yourself in a deer. He walked to the force field and glared at the Romulan. About to defend herself, Dallin didn't get that far. Even see Shelby. You're better. He turned his head slightly. Did you see the Cardassian? His eyes looked dark, drifting deep in thought. She shook her head. No, I, a Cardassian on a Romulan ship, but... He looked at her and again gave a slight smile. Doesn't matter. Call me when she wakes up. Puzzled by the man, Shelby followed the chief with her gaze as he walked towards the door. Many questions filled her thoughts. Some she didn't even know where they were coming from. Her lips parted, but she stopped short. DeCarlin paused slightly at the door. Then he left. Joseph walked down the corridor and breathed in the sweet-smelling air. Ah, better than bird metal. His thoughts drifted to Shelby. He smiled, but a thought was suddenly swamped with darkness. The Cardassian appeared in those thoughts. He knew he was not the only one on his ship who'd been hurt by this particular race. His mother came sweeping into his memory. He was a distant memory, but an important one all the same. Her funeral took place in the DeCarlin family grounds. His father wept. His brother wept. But Joseph stood firm. Don't show emotion. Don't give your game away. The only thoughts that came into his mind as the flower-covered coffin descended into the ground was the Cardassian ship that killed her. His mother, a medic, was reviving a young girl. she just got her back and was holding her as the blast hit her from behind. The evac team found Chloe de Callan, dead, but covering the weeping child. Joseph shook his head and was back on the Arabella. At least the child was safe. He knew his mother hadn't died in vain. That child had become an excellent nurse. Nala awoke with a start, her hands lashing out at an unseen attacker. Her fist struck the wall of the detention cell, sending a surge of pain shooting down her arm. She swung off the simple bed in a single motion and landed crouched and ready. Through the haze and hum of a detention force field stood a Romulan woman in a Starfleet uniform, leaning against the wall while observing Nala with a curious and bemused expression. Feel better now? Shelby asked. Nala slowly stood, her memory returning. This was the woman she had fought and clearly had lost too. You wear the uniform of the Lunani Gali. Nala spat in reply. A half smirk played with the edges of the woman's lips as her eyes narrowed slightly, displaying her distrust of the woman in the cell. There is food for you. Take it or leave it. Her voice did not waver. As the ensign stood there, Nala began to study her features. Something was different. Odd. Then it hit her. Hivam su aha la. Nala said this was an abomination, a half-breed, a disgrace to Romulans. The moment the words came out, Shelby stiffened. She was a young girl again, being mocked by her peers. Arena na. Nala grinned with a degree of satisfaction that she'd been able to affect the woman's calm demeanor. Why have you brought me here? Realizing that she had lost this round to the woman, Shelby stared at her. We brought you here because your ship is no more. 
I presumed that you did not prefer death. Was I wrong? A sneer escaped as the woman stepped closer to the field, while she glared at the ensign before her. The slight crackling of the discharge made a low sound. I helped the filthy de who on the ship failed to escape, she said, making reference to the politicians she had seen on board. I have no knowledge of the survivors outside of you. It is of no matter. My people... Nala said, and in an effort to continue to alienate Shelby from her Romulan half, will be better off without the old guard. Their ways led to the downfall of my culture, and abominations such as yourself. Shelby ignored the comment, keeping her gaze even. What is your name? Nala stood a bit straighter and looked her in the eyes. My name is Nala. Nala Jirak. It was as much of a statement as it was a challenge. Shelby stared at the woman silently for a moment. Then a quizzical expression crossed her face as she moved for the first time from where she stood. Taking a single pace across the front of the cell, Dalem paused, and for a second she was sure she saw a fear flash instantly in the woman's harsh stare. Turning to face the Romulan woman across from her, Shelby let one corner of her lip curl upwards with an almost satisfactory-like quality to it. Jirak, you say. The Romulan spat a string of curses that would make the rudest, crudest warrior in the Empire shudder before she said anything more. The ensign saw the fire and pain in Nala's eyes, a feeling she knew all too well. Tilting her head curiously, Shelby spoke with calm. Interesting how that worked. Lifting her hand, she crossed it past her phaser ever so slowly. Nala's eyes watched her every move. The officer then purposely lifted her hand higher. She tapped her comm badge while she walked away from the cell and spoke. Dalen to Lieutenant Commander DeCallan. Go for DeCallan, came the chief's voice. When you get a moment, our guest has regained consciousness. On my way, DeCallan out. In Shuttle Bay 2, Lieutenant Commander Tolok stood to one side of the door, watching as the passengers and crew of the now-abandoned freighter were escorted into the new accommodations. The space would cater for far more than their small number, but these were the people who would put the efficiencies of his team's initial work to the test. Given the amount of time that had been made available for the conversion exercise, it was as well that the inhabitants were to be Romulan. Had a more exotic species, such as the Bolians, been in need of these accommodations, the changes would have been somewhat more of a challenge. The transformation of the bay was far from complete, of course, but most of the major adjustments and service provisions had been finished. The more cosmetic of the construction work could proceed more slowly, at least in the areas where people were not initially required to be living. With the power balancing for this section of the ship now completed and the new demands of habitation accommodated, Tolok took a final look about the bay before turning for the door to head back to engineering and relieve Lieutenant Garris of his watching brief. Pam stood in frustration and left the shuttle bay to try to get to the temporary housing that had been prepared for their Romulan guests. Should have just stayed in the transporter room, he thought, remembering his ignorance of the original message. Now he had missed an opportunity. He knew working with the crew that had been together for so long and had been through so much would be difficult, but he didn't realize that he'd been left out of the loop entirely. He'd have to be a little more aggressive if he wanted to get his job done. He rounded the corner to see security was already posted outside the bay-turned housing. Hopefully they wouldn't hassle him too much. Gatan stood on the deck of the dying ship and looked on as the last group of evacuees beamed out. The hum of the cascading light showered peaked, momentarily bathing the darkened hangar bay in a soft blue glow, then slowly subsided. The last of the matter stream faded away, returning the room to its previous bleakness. The gloomy chamber's darkness was broken only by the regular strobing of the grim alarm lights. A regular set of footfalls echoed behind Gatan. He acknowledged without turning. That's almost all of them, sir. Commander James drew up to him. What do you mean by almost, Mr. Catan? 
Catan gave a slight nod towards the decent maintenance door. I believe there's a child hiding in that closet. I was hoping that one of our guests would ask about their missing offspring and take possession of the child. Catan gave a disapproving sigh. But, based on the lack of inquiry, I assume that's the parents are dead. Eric nodded slowly. It's a situation that we might have in common if we don't leave soon. It also is a subject that you are more qualified with than I am, Eric added and moved towards the runabout. I'll stabilize the system while you convince this child to come with us. Remember to use your friendly face, Catan. Without another word, Eric moved to the runabout and began working to stabilize the system and transport the ordinance of the runabout back to the Arabella. With her power systems now tied to the Romulan craft, it would be much safer to sacrifice the smaller craft and use its auto-destruct for a controlled detonation of the larger transport. Computer, set auto-destruct sequence for a 10-minute detonation at my mark. Authorization code James Alpha Alpha 3 Alpha Gamma 172 Gamma Gamma Rock. Engage. Authorization code accepted. Destruction countdown available at your command, replied the calm voice of the computer. The Arabella held station, drifting slightly, her arrowhead prow pointed at the distant, ruining hulk of the Romulan vessel. The small but powerful intrepid variant gleamed duly in the reflected starlight. The pale, feathered grey hull almost white in appearance compared to the inky darkness surrounding her. Her reconfigurable warp pylons were held parallel to her body, swept out straight to her sides like the wings of a bird in mid-glide. The stars behind her shone like minuscule rips in the fabric of space, spilling their light into the darkness. Unobscured by the effects of atmosphere, their light was strong and steady, with none of the twinkle caused by diffraction, except in one small distant patch behind the two starships. For just an eye-blink, a small patch of the stars seemed to waver, momentarily winking out of sight as if blocked by a passing object. The effect was transistory. Seconds later, the incongruity faded away, returning the starscape to its formerly unmanned purity. Report! The angry command echoed with the ship's darkened, red-infused bridge. In answer, the Klingon manning tactical looked up with an uncharacteristically sheepish expression. My apologies, Captain Kark. In my attempt to extend our scans of the Federation and Romulan ships, power was temporarily diverted from our cloak. I have corrected the problem. Karak leaped out from the command throne, like a tornado of flying hair and creaking armour. He stormed to the tactical station. The hulking Klingon steel-clad boots echoed off the metal deck plating like gunshots. He loomed over the tactical officer, his voice in a low, dangerous snarl. Your incompetence threatens our mission. Explain to me why I shouldn't relieve you of duty. To his credit, the tactical officer displayed no fear as he stood and returned his commander's fierce glare. I will not be hide behind excuses, sir, he snarled. I am prepared to face whatever punishment the captain feels is required. His expression inscrutable. Quark drew his duck and in one fluid motion promptly plunged it into the tactical officer's chest. With his free hand grasping the man's shoulder, Quark stared into his dimming eyes. You are incompetent, but your courage is commendable. Perhaps one day you will find your way to Stovakar. As the life faded from the officer's eyes, Karak released him. You are relieved of duty, he muttered as the corpse hit the deck. Computer, purge contents of removable memory core and begin downloading of Romulan replicator database and navigational charts to the core. Eric said after initiating a bypass to the failing freighter. It wasn't exactly what he initially wanted to bring back to the ship, but it was better than returning home empty-handed. Working, the computer replied. Eric nodded to himself and looked over the readings. They had less than 30 minutes before they could no longer use a controlled explosion to scuttle the transport safely, and 10 minutes for the transfer to be completed. It was plenty of time barring any further problems with the ship. Legat Ryan stood in the cargo hold and watched the crew of the USS Arabella, busy helping the injured and dealing with the confused and the odd hostile Romulan. Look at them. Pathetic Starfleet and their fantasy of a utopia. <laughs> he smiled and walked around the room. He glanced at the two security guards at the door. Guarding the weak. He continued to walk around the room, his leather clothing creaked with every step. Several Romulans looked up from their seated positions. He looked down at them and moved his hand over his black drawn-back hair. 
week. In the shuttle bay, Katarn stood outside the maintenance door and gave it a gentle rap, but loud enough to be heard over the wall of the one million Cylon. We're here to help, he said. Please come out. We're running out of time. No answer. I don't have time for this. With a sigh, Katarn unholstered his phaser and dialed it down to a weak, confined beam. He pointed the weapon at the door's locking mechanism, took aim and pulled the trigger. The brief red flash of coherent energy was accompanied by an abbreviated whine, then a muffled explosion as the panel erupted into sparks. The door eased open a crack of a soft thunk as the lock disengaged. The ops officer holstered his phaser and heaved the door to the side, widening the gap, then reached his arm in. He was rewarded by a sharp pain running up his arm. Toshugah! He cursed, more in surprise than pain. Drawing his arm back and rolling up the blood-dampened sleeve, he saw the twin crescent shape of teeth marks on his arm. Bacha! That little cortal actually broke the skin! Stealing himself for what he knew was to come, Katan once again stuck his arm into the darkened closet. As teeth once more clamped down on his arm, he grimaced. Reaching in with his other arm, he felt a tangled mop of hair. He moved his hand down until he could feel the cloth of a collar. Grasping the fabric, Katan stepped back, reeling in a squirming, kicking bundle of gnashing teeth and pointed ears. Katan lifted his arm, and the boy hung suspended by the back of his shirt, still clutching in the op officer's fist. shouted the youth, still trying unconsciously to kick his perceived captor. As the child's feet continued to lash out, Katan raised his arm higher. He nimbly pivoted his groin left and right to avoid the strikes. I've got this last one, Commander, Katan yelled out. I think we should leave before the little tug pup causes me permanent damage. Standing against the wall in the corridor, awaiting the arrival of DeCallan, Shelby found herself thinking about the security chief. The concern he had displayed towards her. After all, the clashing they had had in the past and recently just threw her off. Questions began to prey on her mind, teasing her thoughts. But in the end, she convinced herself that with his odd sense of humor. He was playing her, and a half-smirk edged along her lips as she shook her head. Moving her thoughts from whimsy to business, the young ensign straightened her uniform and walked back over to gaze impassively into the cell where the Romulan woman was. Nala Jerak. An interesting catch, to say the least. But what was her angle? Shelby wasn't shy about voicing her mistrust. Yet, the irony of their lives beckoned her. Shouldn't they, at some point, be able to understand one another? After all, they were both, in theory, outcast. Galdar shifted in his seat for the fifth time in the last three minutes. The screen before them presented a static image of the Romulan ship, but he knew that this would soon be replaced by a field of spinning debris and uncontrolled energy spikes of all types. Most concerning to him, however, was the effect that an unshielded artificial singularity would have on both the Arabella and the space around her. It wasn't an effect he wanted to experience firsthand. Restlessly, he moved in the chair again and glanced towards the captain. Ma'am? He eventually asked quietly. Yes, Lieutenant. The captain arched a brow. The Ferengi took a deep breath. Ma'am? I'm concerned that we're not allowing ourselves enough time to leave the system safely. Given that it took over two hours to navigate the debris field on the way in... We may expect a similar time to be required before it will be safe for us to go to warp on the way out. The helmsman stopped, unsure whether to continue. Informing a captain of something they already knew was always potentially dangerous. Savril said nothing, and as the silence built, Galdar felt himself sucked into filling it. I, my apologies, ma'am, if I'm overstepping my authority. But with the time we have remaining until the last ship destroys itself, I would strongly recommend pulling everyone else out of her and getting underway. Understood, Katan, Eric said, and swiveled in his chair from one screen to another to enter additional commands. Without another word, the XO moved to the ejectable core and released it. Computer, begin final transport sequence and set destruct at a 20-minute delay. Engage. Eric felt the shiver of the transporter as they finally vacated the vessel. He nodded to Katan and the child before picking up the compact computer core. With a quick tap of his badge, he opened the channel. James to bridge, all aboard... Self-destruct has been given a 20-minute delay. Lifting a small memory core, Eric glanced at Katan and the young child. 
Guitar, see if you can get out that little friend checked out by medical. I'm going to uh, personally drop this core off with engineering. With all the other parts I sent over from the procedure, it might be a little messy down there. Dunn had been on the station in the Arabella's main hangar deck when word came down that they were being transported to the cargo bay. They were a mixed lot of politicians and wealthy individuals, juxtaposed with a large group that had clearly lived hard lives. They all had two things in common, however. They were all homeless, and they were all very dirty. Clearly, the well-to-do attempt to maintain an air of aloof detachment, but the facade was married by dust and grime. His security detail had escorted them to the larger space of Shuttle Bay 2, where they could be held temporarily and processed. Medics moved among them, providing any aid, nutrition and food where needed. The Romulans didn't seem very appreciative, but at least they were not openly hostile. He had heard that Ensign Delaine had seen some action, and he looked forward to hearing her tale. As much as he wanted to interact with some of the Romulans, he was tasked with a very specific job down here. His eyes stared, glued to the Cardassian in the far corner. Savril's eyes moved slowly over the Ferengi sitting at the helm. The captain ordered him to lay in a course to rendezvous with the fleet prior to the departure of the runabout. Only after the last of the away team and their quarry were safely aboard would they leave the transport behind. She trusted that he was aware of this fact, but he was also an eager young officer. By his manner, Savril concluded that he was uncertain of her experience in such matters. She thought the same could be said for many of the personnel serving aboard the ship. Savril was a newly minted captain, and despite her veteran status, it was likely that some of the new officers wondered what sort of leader she would make. While the likelihood was not a pleasant one, it did not easily perturb the Vulcan. Not yet. The helmsman briskly moved his gaze back to the viewer as Commander James's voice came over the comm. James to bridge. We're all aboard. Self-destruct has been given a 20-minute delay. Understood, Mr. James, replied the captain. She then turned to the Andorian manning the science station. Deploy a beacon to warn any ships that may investigate the transport after our departure. Keep the derelict ship on our sensors until it has detonated, and continue to scan for signs of cloaked vessels. Mr. Galdar, engage at best possible speed. Aye, Captain, the Fringy snapped, sounding respectful more than relieved. He hoped. As the shields reverted to their normal configuration and Lieutenant Commander Zrem announced the launch of the beacon, Galdar's hands moved to the helm controls. With a surge of power, the impulse engines engaged, the damaged Romulan vessel wheeling off to one side of the screen as the Arabella started to turn. It was obvious that he'd pushed a luck a little with the captain, but her Vulcan stoicism seemed to draw things out of him that an honest emotional reaction would not have. He'd have to watch out for that in the future. Still, as a bridge crew, they were all feeling their way around one another to a degree. Understanding the way each officer worked was crucial to successful bridge operations, and that included the captain. Out here in Romulan space, Galdar was keen to ensure that all the bridge operations would be as successful as possible. If that meant he got a little uncomfortable as he settled in, then so be it. It was better to be effective than liked. Popularity could come later. Galdar smiled slightly as he thought of the nervous young Ferengi who'd entered the academy. Maybe all that education has done more for him than he'd realized. Bringing the nose of the Arabella around, Galdar also lifted it, the light of the star washing across the side, then the rear and top of the secondary hull as she pivoted and tilted in space. Stabilizing on course, he guided her out of the star's orbital plane, the quicker to reach warp navigable space. It wasn't the most direct route of intercept with the fleet, but it should be the quickest. The floating junk this system was full of thinning noticeably as she rose higher. At the back of his mind, the pilot also hoped that the slightly unconventional course would throw off any cloaked Romulans that might be lurking nearby. Engineering was in chaos. From the moment runabout components and armaments had started to appear around the warp core, the crew had been in turmoil. Seeing the photon torpedoes appear, one had even considered it as an attack on the Arabella and had started to arm herself accordingly. Tolok, returning in the middle of the materializations, stood unnoticed just inside the door and watched the reactions of his crew. Chaos was how it appeared on the surface, but the experienced engineer could see past the motion and the noise could see the training and the ability of the people under his command as the material was quickly catalogued, tagged, and slowly transported to more appropriate storage locations. Outside of the cargo and shuttle bays, now compromised by the influx of refugees, engineering presented the biggest target for the rapid transport and evacuation of sensitive material, 
It was logical that the away team had beamed the ordinance here, but he would have appreciated the courtesy of a little forewarning. To one side, Ensign Barton was talking quietly to the armed crewman, no doubt reminding her of her duty and responsibilities, the Vulcan thought. Stepping to the middle of the room, Tolok intercepted a crewman moving towards the runabout warp core that had just appeared, starting to organize the work into a more logical pattern. A rapid clearance of the equipment was commendable, but they needed to ensure that sufficient personnel remained at their stations to guarantee a safe transition to warp should the captain require it. Lieutenant Garris, he stated calmly as his fellow officer rounded the corner. Status report, please. Lieutenant Garris, status report, please. Lester heard the order before he even saw that the chief engineer had entered engineering. The influx of extra personnel to deal with the components being transported into the area made it difficult to make everyone out. Welcome to Piccadilly Circus, Commander, Lester joked. Tollock's expression failed to change, which was no surprise since he was a Vulcan, so probably didn't appreciate the joke or the reference. Lester made a mental note to try to keep his humour for more appropriate occasions. Sir, we are making excellent progress cataloguing and storing the components, he quickly added. I have everybody on it, sir. We may look like a disorganized mess down here, but trust me, everyone knows their role, and system efficiency is well within acceptable parameters. We are ready for anything, Lester assured him. He didn't expect to be put in this situation, but he thought he had done a good job. He handed Commander Tollock his pad to inspect. Thank you, Lieutenant, Tollock replied. Lester could swear that the commander seemed a little on edge or displeased with the situation as he toured main engineering to see what was happening. Leaving him to it, Lester carried on with his duties, gesturing to Ensign Barton to come over to his station. Ensign, let me know if they accidentally send over any Romulan parts, won't you? He winked. Jersey stopped dead in his tracks after hearing Ensign Darlene's message. The to Commander James, a Romulan guest of Ensign Darlene's has awoken from her slumber. I'm on my way to question her. Thoughts? The recently returned ex replied as he worked to tie up the final loose ends from the mission. Until I see Darlene's report, I'll reserve my final recommendations. For now, I am for keeping her in the brig until we get to some place to drop her off. But, uh, check with the captain for further instructions. We're almost done here and we'll be returning soon. Uh, Joe, make sure your reports are detailed. We're going to be held accountable for everything that happens out here. James out. Joseph turned and began to walk back to the brig. The Cal and to Captain Saville. The Romulan who attacked Ensign Darlene is currently in the brig. Nurse Kane has checked her out. She says she's fine, but I'm just after clearance to question her regarding her actions. I will speak to her, she said in a smooth, unaffected tone. Joseph smiled. Understood, ma'am. Walking into the brig, Joseph noticed Shelby leaning against the wall. Attention, Ensign. Ensign Darlene immediately stood, ramrod straight. Sir? Joseph turned his eye from the young officer, then to the cell, and he smiled at the Romulan woman glaring back at him. Good morning to you. My name is Lieutenant Commander DeCallan, and I am Chief of Security here aboard the USS Arabella. My captain will be joining us in a moment, so please do feel free to relax. You are quite safe here. Joseph turned to Shelby. With Manson. The two walked to the side of the brig and checked on the sensor readings from the control panel. Nalar sat on the sparse bunk and took a deep breath. A calming breath. She was unsure as to the intentions of the Federation in this matter, but she knew she could accomplish nothing cooling her heels in the brig. She cleared her mind in a technique Pardek had taught her to help give her focus. It helped her create an almost Vulcan-like calm. Checking the panel, Shelby found everything in order as it should be. She glanced over to Colin and whispered, Any chance I can amp up the field a little? A playful smirk toyed at the edges of her lips. Might calm her down. Joseph looked at Shelby with a coy smile. Behave yourself, Ensign. We've got a delicate situation here. The boss is coming, which means she's concerned. I've known our captain since I was a child, so I know when she's focused, and you know what Vulcans are like when focus is on an agenda. He winked at her and looked back at the Romulan. She sat quiet, calm, and reserved. He could sense Shelby looking at him suspiciously. What? You've known the captain since you were small, sir? There was confusion in her expression and skepticism in her tone. Leaning against the control panel, Joseph gazed at the ensign. Yes, both she and Commander James went to the academy with my father. He thinks an awful lot of them, as do I. Just as DeCullen finished and DeLynn was about to ask another question, the captain entered the brig. Moving to one side, the ensign stood at attention. Captain, 
Shelby addressed the Vulcan with a nod. The tall, svelte woman nodded in acknowledgment. Savril's impassive gaze then came to rest on the prisoner seated within a small cell. She took in the Romulan's own placid expression and determined that underlying acidity existed just below the surface. The Seventh Fleet's mission was one of peace, and keeping a Romulan in the brig did not further the cause. Release the film, Mr. DeCollin. Joseph walked to the panel and pressed his hand against the screen. The force field made a small, faint noise and disappeared. Ma'am? I am Captain Seville. May I have your name? The Vulcan queried with steady calm. Dala Jirak, she replied in an impassive and neutral tone as she could muster. The captain, although not a large woman, had a great deal of presence and it made Nala nervous. You may not be aware of this, but our rescue team has granted permission to board the vessel in order to render aid. She studied the Romulan's face a moment and decided that her statement had failed to penetrate. The captain arched the bow. I do not desire to keep you here, but you will remain until I am satisfied that you no longer pose a threat to my crew or your fellow passengers. The prisoner's aloof manner was typical of the Romulan Seville knew. She is well acquainted with a number of them, having fought alongside many during the Dominion War. If she expected answers from the hesitant woman, it would be necessary to trigger her sense of honour, if she had one. Seville stepped into the cell as the prisoner straightened. I was informed that you attacked Ensign Dallin in an attempt to take control of the runabout. The team's mission was to evacuate your people from a transport whose engines were about to go critical. She watched as the Romulan shifted slightly but no verbal response was given. Unaffected, the captain continued at an easy pace. It is common knowledge that the Romulans value honour. If this is true, why would one, such as yourself, risk the lives of her people to save only herself? Had you succeeded in that endeavour, your actions would have condemned those remaining aboard. A flagrant exploit, to be sure. Was it your intention to doom them all? Or were you concerned only with... Preserving your own life. The liar lost her composure, and the laugh erupted from her. Ha! Vulcans and their federation and their misguided sense of duty! The liar stood quickly, but Seville was a smooth pun that refused the ripple. She kept her position just inside the cell. The Carlin shifted somewhat, and Shelby's hand went directly to her phaser's hilt. A ship filled with the weak and the corrupt, she spat. The senators failed, my people. If my culture is to endure, she said, glancing venomously at Shelby. It will be built upon the bodies of those that failed us. You can take comfort and solace in your humanitarian efforts, Vulcan, but you are simply delaying the inevitable. She looks into Savril's eyes. Now you and I are both without homes, she said, and sat heavily back on the bed. Joseph turned to Shelby and shook his head with a smile. He walked slowly towards the brig entrance, but not too close, just so the captain knew he was there. The Romulan couldn't see him any more. Joseph just nodded to the captain. The Romulan wasn't shaking the ensign. In fact, her behaviour was adding to her distrust. There was enough here to be concerned about, and as soon as she could, Shelby was going to start researching her background. If there was even the slightest reason to toss her off this boat, she would be the first going. Nala's gaze just chastised Seville like a whip, but the captain held the Romulan's eye with the strength of her calm. The questions of real put to Nala Jirak were designed to bring the woman out of her quiet, and it seemed she had achieved a measure of success with regards to the break in the silence. The room still seemed to vibrate with the volume of the young woman's reply, and that reply had confirmed Seville's suspicion. Her attempt to steal the runabout had only scratched the surface of her dark intentions. Now you and I are both without our homes. With that remark, the fires of Nala's fury leapt from her to scourge Seville. The heat of her words succeeded in causing an impenetrable pain, one that flickered a moment but could not hold. Seville's voice held a note of astounding serenity when she finally replied, My home, Nala, is this vessel. The planet you have referred to was the world my parents called home. She paused for emphasis. Vulcan was a planet destroyed by a member of your species, yet I have come to offer aid to his people, an effort you no doubt believe to be foolish. With your thoughts so obviously bent on revenge, it would be equally injustice of me to release you from this cell. The last smouldering gaze swung away as Seville turned to leave. On her way out, the brig captain Seville gestured for the Carlin to follow her into the empty corridor. Let our guest remain in her cell for two hours. After that time, release Miss Chirac. She will be assigned her own quarters, which I want under guard. Do not allow Miss Chirac to leave her quarters unaccompanied. 
she should have an armed escort. I want them to monitor her activities throughout her stay aboard this ship. Though the evacuees were disarmed during the transport, they are still capable of exacting revenge, as you are no doubt aware. If she so much as glances in the direction of the senators, inform me. I want them discreetly observed as well, but do not allow our personnel to harass the Romulans. Observation and protection is one thing. Badgering to the point of distrust is quite another. We are still on a mission of peace, Mr. Decalum. Understood, ma'am said the Chief of Security as Safril made her way to Shuttle Bay 2 to begin welcoming the passengers aboard the Arabella. Joseph walked in the opposite direction to the captain, and Ensign Shane ran up to him. He looked at him as they carried on walking. Report, Ensign. I was setting up in Bay 2 when Dunn took over. All sensitive areas of the ship have at least one or two discreet guards. Everyone's been told to be nice, but not to take a disruptor blast for diplomacy's sake. Joseph and Darius stopped in front of the turbo lift. There will be no disruptor blasts, stuns, or any kind of violence, Mr. Shane. This is the situation. We have Ensign Deline guarding a guest at the moment. She's going to be fairly busy with this task, and I don't want her compromised. We need to keep an eye on the Senators. Darius, watch them. Discreetly. I do not want any problems. Further instructions will follow once I receive them. This is a peace mission. The Captain has made herself very clear. Understand? You got it, boss. I don't suppose the captain would let us maybe pump a bit of anesthesine into the bay, make everybody real peaceful? He asked in obvious humor. Joseph faced him, and he did not look amused. Darius, I do hope you are taking this job seriously. Lieutenant Commander Tolok informs me he has a vacancy for a waste tube cleaner down in engineering. Would you like me to put your name forward? Darius straightened. Sorry, boss. On your way, Ensign. Keep the reports coming in. No matter how small, keep me informed. Darius turned and headed back down the corridor. Joseph called after him. Oh, and Ensign Shane. I would have used Nurazine. He winked and entered the open turbo lift. After the captain took to Callan down another corridor in the brig to speak with him, Shelby glanced at the currently calm Romulan through the security field, which was on again. Nala wasn't going anywhere. This gave Dalen an opportunity to slip out. The officer headed down to deck 14, and upon arriving, she walked into the sparsely populated offices. Most of the staff was out on assignments related to the Romulans, where they were stationed at key locations to keep prying eyes away. Finding an out-of-the-way monitor, Shelby first checked to make sure she was alone. Then she logged on and started accessing information on both Nala Jerak and then her father, Alidar Jerak. If you were Romulan, it was fairly common knowledge to know of Admiral Jerak and the shame he had brought upon his family. There was something, though, that upon spinning what she knew of the incident around in her mind, that bothered her. Understandably, the facts of the story she was aware of had always been vague and undefined, or over-glorified, depending on the person talking about it, which wasn't totally without precedence. Such behavior was to be expected from rumor or word of mouth. Oddly enough, though, as she researched the matter in the Starfleet database, Shelby was surprised to find a similar sterile thread surrounding the entire incident. This confused her. Why would Starfleet be so general about a matter like this? First, the USS Enterprise, the Federation flagship, was involved. It would be expected that a complete explanation of the events would be available. They weren't, at least not readily. Secondly, the most she could gather from the logs was that a man, who presented himself as a low-level clerk in the Romulan military, who was later discovered to be Admiral Jerok, attempted to defect by asking for asylum. The reason for it was listed as political. That could be anything. Also, there was little on what the Enterprise did to confirm or debunk the man's request. Simply put, the end result of the mission was listed that the man in custody died of natural causes. So the question begged, why would someone leave everything they knew, go elsewhere, 
ask for asylum, then die unexpectedly from a natural death within such a short period of time. Sitting back and running her finger along her chin, Shelby ran over the information once more. This was just too simple. Surely someone had questioned this before. Something was here, and when she had some time, she was going to find out what. At the moment, though, the ship and Shelby had bigger problems. If DeCallan had orders for her, he was probably looking for her by now. If not, then she was fine, but no sense pushing the envelope. The young ensign finished her work and secured her search under a password. Logging off, she had to have security and in search of the chief. Dr. Peterson busied himself in sickbay helping out where needed. He fixed up scrapes and abrasions, broken bones and lacerations, and was there to answer questions when needed. Casey made sure that the medical staff on duty had all the blood and supplies they needed, and walked around and made sure the patients had everything they needed, even if it was only a little reassurance that they would be okay. The sick bay was a hub of efficiency. The doctors and nurses worked side by side, instinctively knowing what the other person needed while dancing around each other as they went from patient to patient diagnosing and repairing their injuries. Casey watched this for a few minutes, secretly wondering if he had made a mistake, leaving the medical department for a chance at command. He muttered to himself quietly, only time will tell, as he went on his way helping an orderly bring in another patient to sick bay. Doctors Drett and Myella Peterson stepped out of the surgery ward as a medic pushed their unconscious patient into recovery. Senator Navash's stab wound had been critical, but fortunately, the blade had missed her vital organs. The cellular microsutures put in place had stopped the bleeding, and the senator was well on her way to recovery. Ryla flexed her wrist as they made their way onto the floor. Casey Peterson had been the one to mend the fractured bones, for she could not hold the regenerator properly to perform the task herself. It had been her first introduction to the bridge commander. He was Dr. Peterson's husband, and by the way he moved about sickbay, he was eager to help. Thank you, Mr. Peterson, she said as he helped the medic move Senator Navash to her biobed. Ryla's eyes shifted to his civilian clothing and noticed a few drops of green blood on the fabric of his white tunic. He glanced down at it as Mayela lightly chided him about wearing his good shirts during medical emergencies. He laughed. I didn't expect you to ask for my help. Ryla smiled at both of them. Why don't you two go to the afterburner? You're officially off duty, Myla. If you need any more help, I'd be happy to assist, said Casey. I think we have things from here, but I'll let you know. The gamma shift is less than eight hours from now, and you'll need to be rested when you resume your duties as bridge commander, sir. Casey's brows lifted as if he had only then remembered his posting. His smile broadened. If we end up in the lounge, maybe you could join us when you get off your shift. I may. I have a date later, I think. She had two, actually. One with her friend Galdar, and one with Lieutenant Olson, made that morning before she left on the transport. She'd forgotten about poor Galdar when she made arrangements with Jared, and hoped he wouldn't be put off by the third wheel she had inadvertently added to the mix. Maybe I'll see you there. As the couple left Ryla to her work, she removed the surgical cap and entered her office. The nurses and medtechs had the situation well in hand. Now all that remained for the Trill to do was make her report. The first thing she did when she sat behind her desk was compose a communique to Lieutenant Commander DeCollin, detailing the information she'd learned while on the transport. An aide informed her that Senator Ketlek, who was in sickbay with a head wound, had dealt the stab wound to Senator Navash. She gazed out the transparent walls of her office and sighted the security officers standing just outside. They were lingering about, visiting, not the sort of posture a dubious Romulan passenger would find opposing, but their presence put the doctor at ease. At least, she thought, if Ketlek and Navash wake up and try to kill one another, I won't have to stop them myself. She gripped her wrist, remembering the crushing hold the anonymous Romulan woman had effortlessly mustered and hoped that she would not be met a second time by that hateful woman or anyone else with vengeful intentions. As Catan and the Romulan child travelled deeper into the bustling heart of the Arabella, the corridors grew progressively more crowded and busy. Faced with the multi-hued collection of uniformed humans and other aliens, the child slowly drew closer to the most familiar face in this new world. 
that of the surly-looking second officer. As they entered the turbolift, Catan's combat chirped for his attention. Catan here, go ahead. A familiar sultry contralto answered. This is Lieutenant Stas. Just checking to see if we're still on for dinner later. The hint of a smile at Catan's face as an image of the statuesque, raven-haired security officer flashed in his mind. The athletically nubile lieutenant never failed to quicken his pulse. His grin widened as he pictured her piercing green eyes and the striking contrast they made with her coffee-coloured skin. That woman's better than a double shot of Ractagino and twice as sweet, he thought. I certainly hope so, Catan answered. He glanced down at the child at his side. I'm officially off duty now, just dropping off a package at sickbay. Good, she replied. You pick out dinner and I get to decide on dessert. Stas out. Catan quickened his pace and glanced back at his young guest. Come along now, hurry up. Eventually, the two arrived at Deck 5. Thanks to the high standards of her crew, the Arabella had a reputation for being one of the more tightly run ships in the fleet. The crew took pride in their home, and it showed in every detail, from the immaculate military-grade carpeting covering her decks, to the pristine gleam of the fixtures and the Elkars panels interspersed on the walls. But although an inspection-ready level of order and maintenance was the norm throughout the ship, all areas paled in comparison to the spotless, antiseptically clean deck-housing sickbay. Catan gave a slight nod of approval as he strode towards the main entrance. The transparent aluminium doors were so spotless, one could be hard-pressed to even see them if were it not for the winged staff of Escorpius painted on them in gleaming white. As the pair approached, a seam appeared, bisecting the symbol as the twin doors drew apart. Inside the brightly lit bay was a shimmering storm of controlled activity. White-clad doctors and nurses wove in and out as they attended their patients, and charts were passed off with the precision of a well-driven relay team. Catan made his way to the petty officer serving as receptionist. The non-com snapped to attention at his approach. "'May I help you, sir?' "'Yes,' Catan replied. "'This child is one of the evacuees from the Romulan transport. "'He has no guardian that I know of, and he needs a checkup. "'Considering the delicate nature of our rescue mission, "'I want to ensure that he gets the best attention available. "'Does Dr. Drett have time to see him?' Savril turned the corner in the corridor and was joined by Councillor Margon, who quickly fell into step beside her. The Bolian had been visiting various departments to gauge the crew's morale. "'How did your meetings go, Mr. Margon?' Very well, Captain, said the bullion. I believe we should be okay. The majority are simply uneasy because of the past tensions, but all are willing to help. They're with you. At the end of the passage, Eric stood waiting at the entrance of the shuttle bay. Even from the distance she observed him from, she could see that his uniform appeared to be dirty and tattered. A milk run? She projected through the bond with a dry Vulcan wit. More like a normal day at the office, he smiled as he watched the captain and counselor draw closer. Everyone did a great job. Well done, she replied. A few crewmen were bustling in and out of the bay carrying supplies. As the captain and counselors neared the entrance, a science officer gained Savril's attention. Captain, said Herm, I'm anxious to begin the interview process if... Mr... she interjected. Hermeratlo, ma'am. Yes, of course. You are our anthropology and archaeology officer. She could see a fervent enthusiasm in his beaming smile and bright eyes. Ensign Hermeratlo, perhaps you should take the names of our guests for the ship's records instead. Do not harass them with questions this day. They have been through a number of traumatic experiences, and I do not wish to add to their discomfort. I am sure you can appreciate the delicate nature of our situation." The captain was right, of course. Herm had been so anxious to prove himself to his captain and fellow crewmen that he hadn't stopped to consider their guess. From the corridor, he could hear the chaos in the shuttle bay. By the sound of it, there would be anger, frustration, and confusion. The last thing they needed was some hyper-ensign bugging them with a lot of annoying questions about their lost homeworld. Cataloging the names would allow him to do what he should have done in the first place, just talk to them. There would be plenty of time later to ask questions. 
Who knows? He might even make a friend or two. Yes, ma'am, said Herm, nearly shouting as he snapped to attention. After receiving a nod from the captain, he allowed them to continue their march towards the shuttle bay and followed on their heels, happy to have something constructive to do. As they proceeded towards their destination, they were joined by Commander James, who gave Margon a polite nod and the captain a broad smile. The three senior officers, with the ensign not far behind, then crossed the threshold of Shuttle Bay 2 and were met by a cacophony of frustrated voices. Eric looked over at the crowded Shuttle Bay. Engineers moved alongside the refugees in their efforts to complete the transformation to temporary living quarters. The individuals that comprised the mob ranged from infant to elder, from clean to bruised and dirty, and Eric could sense their apprehension. The room was filled with those that had never experienced contact with member species of the Federation. Their only knowledge originated from propaganda used by their leaders to paint their saviors as their enemies. It was the same prejudiced undercurrent that flowed through the Arabella. Officers and enlisted on their very ship had grown up in a society that considered the refugees as tyrants and murderers. It wasn't until the last decade that any real progress had been made to alter that image. The alliance with the imperial Romulan state had brought new perspective to how some of the Federation viewed their neighbors, but there were still others that only saw what they were taught the Star Empire represented. Eric had been aboard the Tiberius during her mission to Romulan space as they helped plant the seeds that would become the imperial state. It was during their first encounter with the woman who had become empress that they made their impression on her, and it was by the missing empress's diplomatic invitation that the fleet was assembled. In those brief encounters and communications with Donatra over the years, Eric had come to find the empress a person of great honor. Now it was time for the Federation to stand by their ally, even if she was still missing. It was time for them to stand by the Romulan people, even if they didn't believe they needed the help. "'Where are we going?' an elder voice called out of the officers. "'Where are you taking us?' shouted a woman. A torrent of additional questions merged with the den of defiant people. Voices blurred into a white noise of inquiries, accusations and raw emotions. Eric cleared his throat and glanced to his wife. With a combination of vocal strength and physical ability, the XO spoke. Could I have your attention, please? The ambient levels of sound began to low as Commander James continued his call for attention. It was a technique that he had learned in the trenches of battle, and he perfected it in their home to focus the attention of their three children. Each further application of the technique lowered the level of sound in the room, and with it, Eric's voice. Speak only loud enough for them to hear, but soft enough for them to have to listen. I am quite certain that you all have a great many questions, and we're here to provide you with the answers, Eric said in a voice now only slightly above conversational level. I only ask that you respect those near you, and allow them to hear the answer that you are looking for. For the most part, the evacuees were still alright, but their protests had fallen silent. Seville took the opportunity to interpose. I am Captain Seville. Suggested to the Elorian Nicene and Bolian standing beside her. This is my first officer, Commander James, and the ship's counsellor, Mr. Marga. The commander gave a polite smile to the mob on the attention of his name, but remained silent. He had cleared the path for the captain to assert her authority into the situation and knew his role was to provide the tools needed to continue the dialogue. With a thought, he communicated telepathically with his wife. We have a copy of their replicated database and are in the process of adding Romulan food, drink and clothing selections to the public use replicators. For now the additions are limited and we will not include alcohol beverages or other recreational drugs. More will be added as we determine any risk potential. It wasn't much but it might make the difference in the perception of their guests. A meal and fresh clothing from their own people could be exactly what they needed to convince their guests that they were not prisoners. It was an instance where Commander James truly preferred the carrot to the stick. Information from your ship's database was transferred to our own in order to better serve you. 
We are in the process of adding menus and clothing selections from those files to our replicators. For the time being, alcohol and other drugs will be excluded. In the meantime, you are free to patron our ship's lounge and other recreational areas. I grumble went up at the mention of a transfer of information from the transport. How do we know you haven't stolen vital information? Seville's ear found the man before I found him. She turned her head in his direction and nodded. Our mission is simply to offer assistance. The only vital information we obtained, including star charts, that will enable us to take you where you intended to go. She patiently replied. Where are you taking us? shouted another voice. Wherever you want, replied Margan in a reassuring tone. Seville nodded. Perhaps it would be best if you elect a representative that we may consult with regards to your individual needs. Seville nodded. Perhaps it would be best if you elect a representative that we may consult with regards to your individual needs. She nodded to Ensign Hermato, standing quietly near the door. Mr. Hermato will take your names for our ship's records. You may also dictate a preferred destination and representative. The commander nodded in quiet agreement with the captain. He had to bite his tongue to stop himself from pointing out the obvious to their passengers. Both sides of the Romil empires had suffered fatal blows. It was highly unlikely that the transport contained critical information of any sort, and he was quite sure that if there had been, after the auction over that information would have been rendered more than useless. These people had been attacked by what appeared to be their own military, and centuries of hate still had them assuming the worst of the individuals that came to aid them. After a few more minutes, Seville and Eric left the ensign and councillor to gather the details required of the evacuees. The captain and first officer's shift had ended, but there was still more work to be done. Next, they would visit the senators. Somehow, Seville knew that meeting would go less smoothly. It is her experience that politicians, no matter their species, often held higher opinions of themselves than their constituents had. Once again, I would like to thank all of the Ready Room writers and the Ready Room readers. Uh, We couldn't do this podcast without you guys, and we really appreciate you taking the time to write for the role-playing game and to read for the role-playing game. Some of you guys are doing double work, which is really fantastic, and uh, Jen, Rick, and I really appreciate y'all. And I guess that's going to do it, so until next time, this is Kenny, Hailing Frequencies Closed. The Ready Room theme and other RPG music was composed by Rick Moyer. All other music was obtained through the Podsafe Music Network. Read more about the adventures of the USS Arabella at treksandsci-fi.com. Hi, I'm Rick Moyer, and I want to tell you about my brand new podcast. It's called Take Him With You. Every week I talk about what's going on in my geeky little world of television, music, and in my faith. My hope is that in a world that can sometimes be really depressing, for at least a few moments you can be encouraged and smile a bit. So come check it out. www.takehimwithyou.com The weekly podcast that's spiritual, not religious. I'd love to have you listen. Thanks. He likes you at all. (laughs) No, I don't like you either. (laughs) I love that. That is so great. That's good writing. Yes. Because it's not much dialogue. And because George Lucas didn't write all the (coughs) dialogue. (laughs) I'm Jen. And I'm Angela. And when you're not listening to this glorious podcast... We would love to have you listen to ours, the Anomaly Podcast. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. <laughs> Hello there, my name is Med. And this is David Frost. You're not David Frost. All right, I mean, this is Mark. And we are the present... Mark? All right, get on with it. Okay. And we're the presenters of Waffle On Podcast. And we like to talk about... Crap. TV broadcast between 1960 to 1999. Would you say it's crap? 
Some of it, really. <laughs> Especially the British stuff. But we've already had a podcast about that, so let's move up on that. Unbelievable. You can find us at http colon forward slash forward slash waffleon.podbean.com. Do not smile when I say the word colon. Oh, I'm not. <laughs> Greetings, guildies. I'm Kenny. And I'm Jenny. After listening to this great podcast, why don't you turn into our podcast? Knights of the Guild. The official fan podcast for the web series The Guild. Each month, we'll bring you the latest news about the Guild cast, including what projects they're working on and what conventions they'll be attending. Also, we'll be updating you on the current season. We'll talk about some behind-the-scenes fun of season two. As well as having cast, crew, and fan interviews. So head over to iTunes and subscribe to Knights of the Guild. Or go to our website for a direct download at knightsoftheguild.com. Zaboo!